If you have a Bible, uh, you're welcome to look on screen. The verses will be there, but you can also just get a copy for yourself in John chapter 4 is where we'll be. I want to start with a question this morning, um, and the question is simply this. Why do you welcome Jesus into your life? Why do you welcome Jesus into your life? And um, as I read a little bit from this passage, it might be a little more uh, clear what I mean by that. I'm just going to read one verse, uh, so you can just listen. But uh, here's what I want us to start our thinking with. In John 4, it says, When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They welcomed him. Why? The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. In Jerusalem, in John, we don't have a lot of uh, different stories. We have just a few select longer stories, so we don't know a lot that happened in Jerusalem. We see him talking to Nicodemus. We know that he cleansed the temple, uh, and then he's just met the woman at Samaria on the way from Judea into Galilee. But there's a couple of verses that are helpful to understand what's going on in our text this morning. In John chapter 2, verse 23, it says, when they saw the signs and wonders that he was doing, many believed in his name. And then in John chapter 3, verse 2, when Nicodemus comes to him at night, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So even though we're not told what they are, there are obviously a lot of different miraculous things that Jesus is doing, and people see that, and people from Galilee were down in Jerusalem, they've gone back up to Galilee, now Jesus comes there, and they receive him with uh, some welcome, with some enthusiasm, because they saw all that stuff. And we have to ask then the question, what's behind that? And that will bring us ultimately back to our question, why do I welcome Jesus? Because there's a, there's a fundamental faith question that this passage is going to deal with this morning, and it really pivots on this issue. Uh, Jesus has done miraculous things, and they welcome him. So far, so good. The question is, why? Uh, the, the, the miraculous things can lead them in two different, different directions. One is they could be embracing him for who he actually is because his miraculous works have authenticated his identity. It's like you're the, you're the one. We see that and we want you. That's one possibility. The other possibility is they see his power and they hope to get that because they have a long list of wants and demands. One list is about knowing him and receiving a relationship with him. The other is about just getting what they want in life and basically using him if he's willing and if not, who needs him. And it's not clear from the verse we just read which way the Galileans were. That'll become clear in a moment. But before we deal with that, that's a good question for us to ask ourselves. Why do we welcome Jesus? Is it because he's the real deal, or is it because we want a better deal? Those aren't the same thing. They start at the same place, perhaps. We may see something that he's done, have experienced him in some way, and be excited about that, but then what? <clears throat> Jesus didn't come to just check off my wish list and do a bunch of cool things. He came to bring me into relationship with himself and with his father and through that transform me. All the good stuff 
comes from the relationship, not just from the power of God. And if I'm one who is pursuing just the stuff, I will likely miss both the stuff and God if, on the other hand, I'm receiving Jesus because of who he is and I want relationship with him, then along with that comes whatever he's going to do in my life. So again, our question, why do I welcome Jesus? Is it because he's the real deal or is it because I just want a better deal? Um, I know that the scriptures say, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek for they inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. I know those things. Why is it, though, that so often when things don't go my way, I find myself being demanding, aggressive, even combative? If this is what a life of faith looks like in the Beatitudes, and things don't meet my expectations, and I don't respond in a beatitude way, could that point to something deeper? Could that point to something in my faith and my approach to Jesus that's actually flawed and that is actually getting in the way of really growing and being who he wants me to be? I know that the scriptures say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. So why is it so easy to seek first all these other things being added to me and hope that the kingdom and righteousness will be added as well. How does that shift take place? I know that I am to pray, give us today our daily bread. But what do I mean by that? What am I really hoping for? Is it daily bread or am I saying, <laughs> give me my muffins, eclairs, and um, you know, donuts and cookies and all the fancy things that I want? And, and when I don't get those, then what? When God doesn't meet my expectations, do I struggle? I'm sure there's some disappointment, always, but a deep struggle is probably a sign that something's wrong in, in, the, in the fundamental makeup of my faith. Um, God, as, as, as his child, he is constantly uh, blessing me, but the way that blessing feels and the, and the intensity of the flow varies over time. And it's easy to be content and at peace when it's just abundantly being poured out on me. What about when it seems few and far between the things that are exciting? What about those seasons when it's really hard? Like this season, you may have a particular issue in your life that's hard right now, or a collection of issues. The whole world has some issues. The United States has some issues. We all feel that. It's a challenging season. And it's a season where we may be wondering, what's God doing? where we may feel like we're doing more waiting than anything else. We're not seeing a lot happen. And what is it, what happens to me? What happens in my heart and how do I respond if God puts me in a place where I am wondering, where I am waiting, where perhaps even I am in want or maybe even am wounded? How do I respond? This passage pivots on the quality of faith. And the quality of faith makes all the difference in how I go through everything and especially how I go through challenging things. So let's look at the passage in more detail and let's pick it up from the beginning verse, starting in verse 43. Here's what it says. After two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. 
So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he leaves from Samaria to Galilee, and he's the one who said, a prophet's not going to receive honor in his own country, and he goes to his own country, he goes to his homeland, and it says they welcome him. What are we supposed to make of that? That's the first question we need to resolve if we're going to understand this passage and be able to follow his intent for us. And it seems confusing at first, but with a little patience, it actually becomes really, really clear. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, it starts with um, presenting Jesus. And one of the things it says is it says he came to his own, his own people, and they didn't receive him. But to everyone who did receive him, he gave the power to become the children of God. So in his homeland and amongst his people, the, the reception of Jesus was pretty mixed. And he did not receive the honor that was due him. Although some people did respond. So um, that's what Jesus is talking about when he says a prophet doesn't receive honor in his own country. He had just come from Judea, which is part of his country, through Samaria, which is not part of his country, up to Galilee, which is part of his country again. In Samaria, he had the first experience of just a warm, full-on, embracing welcome. The Samaritans just accepted him. In Judea and in Galilee, it's going to be a mixed reality. So as he's moving from this place of, of, of effective and joyful ministry, he's moving back into a harder zone. That's why it says that. And it says then, he's going into Galilee. They do receive him, but the question that raises for us is how? They've seen the cool things that he's done. Now what? And what we'll see is that they've seen the cool things that he's done and they want more, right? They're not coming to him because he's the real deal. They're coming to him because they want a better deal. And if he doesn't give it to them, they don't have any use for him. Let's go on with the story. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Cana is kind of in central Galilee, and, and Capernaum is, is in the, uh, kind of the northeast area. It's right up on the Sea of Galilee itself, and Cana is inland above, above the Valley of Jezreel. So um, he's in one town. There's an official in another town, an official who's actually a royal servant of probably Herod Antipas, um, and it says, when this man heard, verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Okay, so Jesus comes into Galilee, he's received, he's welcomed by the Galileans, and their motives aren't real clear, they've seen cool stuff, why are they welcoming him? Is it that or is it something more? Then this guy comes. He's desperate, right? He's just looking for solutions. He will try anything. His son is going to die. 
and he has heard that this miracle-working man named Jesus has come back into the region, and he makes a long hike. We know that he's desperate for a number of reasons. The language, you know, as it's translated, is a little bit soft. He's actually begging Jesus, and then eventually he's going to command him. He's going to use an imperative. He's going to command him to go help his son. He's, he's emotionally highly invested because he's desperate, and he wants to see Jesus do something that he so desperately wants. He wants him to raise up his son, to heal his son. And he's made a 15 to 20 mile uphill journey to get there, right? Those of you that tell your kids, uh, we'll go into school every day, it was 15, 20 miles uphill both directions. Well, the, the point you're trying to get across is it was hard and you don't know what you're doing and you know, we, we make fun of that. But this guy's actually had to, to take a pretty a grueling journey. It's quite a journey to go from 700 feet below sea level up into central Galilee where Cana is. It was hot, it was sweaty, it was painful, and he does it on foot, and it's 15 to 20 miles away. It's, it's, he's committed. He's committed. He wants something desperately. That's why he comes. And then Jesus speaks to him and the others who are auditing the course, the Galileans around, because in, in verse... Um, 48, I think it is. He says, unless you, and the you is plural, so he's talking to more than just the man in front of him, he's talking to everyone else. Unless all of you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So here's what he's just said. All of you have come for the wrong reasons. All of you have a defective faith. You don't really care who I am. You're not really looking for what I've got. You want me to jump through your hoops and check off your list. You want good stuff. And if I'm not going to give it to you, you're just going to walk away. That's essentially packed into what Jesus says there. And that rebuke is received by people differently. The man in the story, actually, that rebuke becomes an opportunity for a change of heart because he doesn't give up. He doesn't walk away. He doesn't say, well, obviously I'm not getting what I came for. I'm leaving. Instead, he intensifies. He said, this is where he gives a command. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I know you can do something. Please come do it. I'm not giving up. And in that, he shows a, maybe a little bit of the beginning of a shift. He doesn't get put off by Jesus' rebuke. He's still there. And so Jesus presses him a little bit further And this is where faith really, really springs alive. Because Jesus said to him, verse 50, go. Now he gives a command, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That's huge. He's come to see this miracle worker do a miracle. And now the miracle worker says, I'm not coming. You just think you need my power. Well, I'll do something for you but you got to trust me. If, if you're coming to me, you're coming to me on my terms, which means you need to listen to my word. You need to obey my command. And your miracle is going to be a little bit delayed, but if you'll trust me, it's going to happen. And if not, it won't. Go. And the man believes. And he heads back down the road and it's, by this point, it's one in the afternoon, we're going to learn, and so he can't get all the way home. He goes partway down, and then the next day, he continues his journey. And it says in verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. 
So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's about one o'clock, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So John, it continues to show us this series of contrasting approaches and responses to Christ, and there's a proper faith response, and there's an improper one. And that is how we get into relationship with God in the first place is that proper faith response. But it's, it's the same way we're supposed to continue. That faith is supposed to continue on. So whether you are kind of wondering where you stand with God and you're feeling like an outsider looking in, and you may feel that way because maybe you are. You're invited in. Jesus has come for you, but you have to respond to the invitation. And if you're feeling that way, this will give you a picture of what does it mean to really trust him. If you're an insider, if you will, if you've received Christ, if you have a relationship with God because of what he did on the cross and, and, and surrendering in faith, the ongoing question is what's the character of my daily faith? How am I responding to God? How am I responding to Jesus? Do I want to connect with him because he's the real deal or am I just looking for a better deal? It's amazing how easy it is to slip back into an old pattern. This man is an example of somebody who starts in the wrong place and winds up in the right place. Jesus rebukes him and says, you guys won't believe anything unless I do something amazing. And the man won't be deterred. He asks for help and Jesus changes, changes the rules on him. He says, well, if you want my help, you have to trust me. You don't get to see how this works. It doesn't come on your terms. You surrender to me and you obey my word and you'll get my help. And he does, he does. And then when the miracle actually happens and he sees that, his faith grows. And his family also comes to a place of faith. That's what John 4 is really pointing us to. And it, it has this principle kind of underlying that we want to be asking ourselves or, or looking at for ourselves. You see, the quality of my faith the quality of my faith is revealed in that season between wondering and seeing wonders, right? Imagine the journey this man has from Cana back to Capernaum. He's got to walk those same 15 or 20 miles. This time it's downhill, thankfully, but it's still a long and difficult journey all the way along all he has to hold him secure is a word from a man he just met. Jesus says, okay, your son is healed, go. And he's, he's accepted that, he's trusted that. And now he's got this long journey and he hasn't seen what that's gonna be. It's a season where God's promise is out ahead of his experience. And that's a season where a lot of us wind up wondering, wondering what God's doing, wondering how's this gonna play out, wondering what's next, wondering is, am I on the right path, right? That's all, that'd be a long journey, be a long journey, and yet it's in that journey that his faith solidifies, and then when the wonder of the healing is before him, his faith grows even more. The character of my faith is often best revealed in the season of wondering that precedes experiencing the wonder. A lot of us are in a place where we're waiting, where we're wondering, where things aren't the way we hope or want. Some of us would like a redo. Some of us would like to erase the whole last year and start over or just get past this. And that's just when we're looking at the macro situation. We've got 
political and pandemic issues, but there's also a thousand personal challenges that we face, and those can also move us into a place where we're wondering, where's God? What's he doing? What's next? How am I going to get through this? What do you want from me? Can I trust you? All of those things well up within us, and it's in those moments that our faith is really authenticated, that the real quality of our faith shows. So here's a question to be thinking about as we continue is, What's the quality of faith that's being revealed and how I'm responding to God right now? And should that change? You see, the man is already on the right track, but then when, when he experiences the sign and wonder, the healing of his son, he grows further, right? So every time I have a test of my faith, it's an opportunity then to grow even further. Um, there's two really simple principles I want to give to us to, to kind of use as a grid for our own lives um, as we try to evaluate our faith and say, am I, am I really looking to Jesus because he's the real deal or am I just looking for a better deal? Am I the one who's only going to follow when things are going well and cool things are happening or am I just in with him because he's the one I need to be with? And even if all I have in this moment is his word, that's enough. So two questions I need to be asking myself are two issues to look at. Uh, the first one is, um, are, for me, for me, are times of wondering prone to turn into times of wandering, right? When I am not clear on what God's doing or I'm growing impatient with it or I'm not real happy with what seems to be happening or it's a hard time or there's a struggle or there's a fear or there's an anxiety that's rising up and I, I just want God to take it away and he's not doing it and it, it, the time is extending and I begin to wonder what's happening and what's next and what are you doing, God? That season, that time of wondering, does my heart begin to wander? Do I um, grow weary and give up? Do I walk away? Do I take matters into my own hands and just try to solve my own problem? Do I hang in there with God? Um, do I wander or do I double down on faith? Right? Do I double down on faith? Because that season is actually a time to double down on faith. And that's not naive. It would be naive, it would be foolish to just double down on something because it's a nice thought. I think this is good, so I'm just going to stay with it. I'm not going to be deterred. But it's never naive, it's never foolish to double down on a God who has shown his ability and his character again and again and again. Even if I'm in a season of waiting, in, in a season of wondering, and a season of want, and even a season of wounding, he has still shown himself to be faithful, and I can trust him, and his word is enough to set my path, and I can follow because he's been faithful. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He actually knows more than I do. How about that? Maybe he sees this differently. Maybe he knows stuff I don't know that's going on right now, and maybe he has a purpose in it. He's told me he has. He says, I work all things according to the power of my will or according to the counsel of my will, and I work everything together for your good, and if that's not enough for you, I can back it up by saying, look, I won't withhold any good thing. I gave you my son. It is always right to double down on faith in God. So when I'm in this season of wondering, how quickly does my heart begin to wander? And do I choose faith in that moment? 
The man chose faith. He chose to trust, and he set his feet on the path, and he kept walking. Um, now, this isn't naive. It's not saying, well, uh, you just kind of blindly accept whatever comes, but there's a, there's, a, there's a vast difference between me questioning my heart, my discernment, and my judgment in a hard situation, and turning and questioning God's heart, God's discernment, and God's judgment. Yes, there are things to evaluate, things to back up, things to look at, but at the end of the day, God's heart, his discernment, his judgment are on target And wherever we're out of alignment, that lies with me. What is it that I need to learn here, Lord? It's not naive. It doesn't blow past that. In fact, it can lead me to actually deeper growth because I can learn where I'm out of alignment. It's also not naive. Uh, It's not asking me to be robotic. Like, this is hard, but stiff upper lip, you know, do the march, you're fine. Like, no, feel all the feels. Feel all the feels. Just keep following. That's what this says. When it's hard, it hurts. It's supposed to hurt. It's unfortunate that it hurts, but it's okay that it hurts. I don't have to waste a bunch of energy like I shouldn't feel the way that I do. I do feel the way that I do. Now, God, I don't want the way that I feel to block me from faithfully following you. Grant me grace. May your word of command be enough. May my faith not be the one that is looking for a better deal. May my faith be anchored in you because you are the real deal. Here's the other principle or question that I think is fruitful to ask myself, and that is when, when I'm in a time of wondering, is it easy for me to slide from seeking the real deal, God, to seeking a better deal? Now I'm really just focused on what God's doing for me. Um, sometimes my expectations aren't met, my world gets turned upside down, and um, then what? If I really struggle, that may say something, that, that does say a lot more about me than it does about my circumstances or my God. Um, and what it may be saying is that somehow I've shifted my focus and I'm just looking for God to do stuff for me that I want, when I want, how I want. His flow of blessing is continual, but it's not at the same pace. It's on his calendar, it's on his clock, and it's by his playbook. And I, I can lose track of that, right? Uh, I don't like doing hard things, and that's actually not a true statement. <laughs> and I, I think that's not a true statement for most of us. It's not that we don't like doing hard things. We don't think we should have to do hard things. We just don't have place in our lives for that. Why would I do this? Why would I experience this? Why is this happening? Those things well up. And when the, the, the stronger they are within us, that may be a sign that something's shifted in our faith and we've, we're acting more like the Galileans than the, than the royal servant is acting in the story. We're more looking for, hey, you did some cool stuff. What's the next thing? I'm looking for this right now. Can you do it? And that shows up in all different kinds of places in all, ki- all kinds of uh, life circumstances, big and small. God, how come my business is doing this? And what about the cancer? And how come this person passed? And why doesn't the government change this? And it, we can fill in all the macro blanks. We can fill in the micro blanks. We can fill in relational blanks. Why are my kids acting this way? And why don't I feel loved? And uh, It can be just practical daily realities where we have to be very careful what we do with our expectations. 
Let me share one that I think is uh, just my experience of the last week that uh, is, is probably a scalable thing. The, the issue of, of expectations and what to expect from God versus what to seek for myself, it runs right through the story. A um, number of weeks ago, I, I mentioned that um, one of the things that I struggle to be content with is my car. Um, it's old enough to vote. You know, I made a few jokes about it. Well, on Christmas Sunday, December 20th, on my way home, and I only live uh, less than a mile from the church, my engine broke. And when I say broke, I mean literally broke. Something inside the engine broke off, and you could hear it rattling around. It was a horrible noise. I took it to my mechanic the next day. He only is like less than a quarter of a mile away. That's the only reason I would drive it there. I turned the engine on, and his first word was, I quote, Ugh. I don't know how to spell that, but I do how to quote it, and I do know what it means, and it's not good. And then the next two words out of his mouth confirmed. The next two words were project car. Like, those are words you don't want to hear your mechanics say. This was a car that had once been a wonderful car. It was the car that I had now. It was supposed to last me a good deal longer. I had made peace with that. I was, I'd just put some money into it. In fact, I'd taken it to that same mechanic. He said, I can't look inside your engine. Famous last words. But from everything I can tell, you should get 60 or 70,000 more miles out of this car. It's like, all right, this is my car. This is what I'm going to do. And 16 or 17 miles later, it completely breaks my first response was, God, what's going on? What? This is not the way it's supposed to be. Like, I get to define how it's supposed to be. Like, that's, that's a word that works for me, right? God's the one who defines supposed to, not me. But that was my response. It's not the way it's supposed to be. I was ready for this car now. I, I like it. It was a good car. It, well, not now. It doesn't run. But it was a good car. I'm okay with it. Why did you take it away? What's going on? There's all that processing, right? That's the first response. And I've got to align my expectations with what God's doing. Then there's a second response. Wait, hold on. <laughs> my car is gone. I have to buy a new car. I have to go do this. What a horrible job. I got to go buy a new car. Now I'll buy one that I really want. And then I had to process that and say, well, wait a minute. I didn't save a bunch of money for a car. What's the right thing to do here? What would be the honoring to God thing to do here? Should I take out a loan? Maybe. Maybe I should just pay cash. If I pay cash, how much should I pay? I've got emergency savings. This is an emergency. But how much is appropriate? It takes a long time to put it back. You know, I have to process all that stuff through. Dave and I had to talk about it and pray about it and try to determine really what would honor God, not just how do I feel right? Is he saying anything? Because if he's the Lord, he gets a veto on everything else, and his word of command is what guides my path. And it's only as I follow that word of command that the wonder will come at the end of that anyway, whatever that's going to be. But he, even he gets to decide that. So the next question I had is, what kind of car do I get to buy? I've got a basic budget now. What do I get to buy? And I looked at a number of different options. I looked at a truck because that's practical, but uh, if I want to have at least 100,000 miles left on it, they were way out of my budget. So there are, I thought about it. There are six cars that I actually find exciting that I would like one of them. And I started down the list and I checked them out. And nope, that one won't work. 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 One whole hand is down. Five of them don't fit in my budget. So I either have to go back and change things, but I'm pretty sure that's what God wants, or I have to alter my expectation and accept what he's got 
and it's not that. And then the sixth one I looked at, it's like, yes, yes, that one's not as expensive. When they're used, they're reasonable, and I can get one that'll still have 100,000 miles on it within my budget. That's what I should do. Hold on. Is that really the best thing? Is that what God wants? Now, not every question in life has to be run through such a tight grid, but the, the cast of my life has to be, I'm about being with you. You're the real deal. I'm not looking for a better deal. I'm looking for you and relationship. And in that relationship, you've got plenty of good. And that's what I want. And if my expectations are out of alignment with that, please help me. Please line me up so that I can experience what you've got and be with you. And that's what I was processing. That's what I was wrestling through. We all do that. And when it, the bigger the thing is, the, the more important it is that we take that very carefully. In the end, I, I came to the conclusion that, yeah, it was okay for me to get the car that I really was excited about. So um, if you see me tooling around town, you'll see me now in my Mini Cooper, which uh, may be a little dis disjunctive in your mind. I, I was sharing that with my men's group. Uh, we were on Zoom, and one of the guys who was muted, you could just see him, his head flop around, and he got a big old smile on his face, and I asked him what was going on, and he, he unmuted, and he said, um, <laughs> Uh, your stature in a Mini Cooper don't seem to line up. And um, what he really meant was my girth and the Mini Cooper don't line up. That's what he meant, but he's trying to be polite. He just couldn't picture me in one. But trust me, it's kind of like a TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside than on the outside. It fits me great. It's wonderful. When we went down to the dealership where it was for sale and looked at it, David, who's not really into cars, only vaguely knew what I was talking about. When she saw it and looked to me standing next to it, she said, are you going to fit? And I fit just fine. And then when I got back out of it, she said, you remind me of Mr. Incredible getting out of his car. When she told Amanda, our daughter who lives in Africa, on uh, WhatsApp, they were talking, she said, your dad got a Mini Cooper. First words out of her car, or out of her mouth were, does he look like Mr. Incredible getting out of the car? Yeah, it, maybe it doesn't make sense, but it's perfect. I love it. And it was something God let me do because God's, God's not a killjoy. He wants us to do nice things and enjoy nice things, all of that. But there's a context. There's a context, not just for that, but a context for every issue in my life. If I am in relationship, if, if it's about being with Jesus, the real deal, not Jesus, please give me a better deal then that shapes how I respond to all of the circumstances. When I'm in the moment of want and going without a car for a month and even thinking maybe we should just do this with one car, I wonder if that's what God wants. To the moment of excitement, hey, I got the car that I would have wanted and hopefully it runs for 100,000 miles and the engine doesn't break on the way home from church today. But everywhere in between and all the other decisions, when, when we look at the, the, the things going on around us, and we get so frustrated or so discouraged or so troubled, we need to back up and say, wait a minute. His word's enough. He said, I'm for you, I'm with you. Trust me, I'm working, I'm in control. And maybe I'm in that season of wondering and I don't yet see the sign or wonder that I'm hoping for. But in that season of wondering, what surfaces is the real character of my faith? What am I really trusting in? What am I really seeking from God? That's what this passage is about. There was a man who went to Jesus 
because Jesus was a miracle worker and he was desperate and would try anything. But as he began to experience Jesus, that shifted. And it's not just, I need your power. I need you. I don't just trust seeing you do something. I trust you. You command me to go. Even though I wonder this whole trip, what's actually going to happen, I'm going to go. Because your word is sufficient because you are the real deal. So here's the question. Why do I welcome Jesus? And whatever hard thing I have right now, what does that show about the quality of my faith? And is there something that needs to change? When the man was rebuked, he grew, he changed. There's no reason to believe that anyone else did, maybe some did, but probably a lot of them just turned away and walked away. Jesus isn't gonna meet my expectations, I'm walking away. Some of us never come to Christ because of that, and some of us come to Christ, but then we live our lives in this constant turmoil because we keep trying to tell him how to be God instead of ask him, why do I welcome Jesus? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your grace. Grow our faith. May we be people who are known for trusting you even in seasons of waiting, even in seasons of wanting, even in seasons of wondering. We want to see the signs and wonders and the cool things happening. And we know that you sometimes do that, sometimes in extraordinary ways. We're grateful for that. But in that gap, that gap where your word and your promise is out ahead of our experience, would you grow us? May we trust you. You're the real deal and not try to manipulate you to make you do what we want, but instead align ourselves so that we can become what you want. And Lord, we don't want to be naive or glib. We do want to feel the feels. It's hard. Some of us are deeply discouraged. We ask you to meet us there. We ask you, though, Lord, that we would feel the feels and still follow. Help us with that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.